Listen up, all you New York fans. Veteran New York sports talk host John Dostromsky gives his unique take on all the big stories in the Big Apple and beyond, including guest conversations, gambling picks, and reactions from you, the listener. Check out New York, New York with John Dostromsky on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's the answer. I am Chris Ryan and I'm joined as always by Sarah Sogi. And we are here to answer the question, what makes a team dysfunctional? Sarah, have you read that copy of The Alchemist that I lent you? Not yet. Not yet, Chris. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it though. <laughs> maybe maybe during the off season. Yeah. Have you read The Alchemist? I actually, I have not. It's, so this, the, the reason we're ma- making a joke about The Alchemist is that David Griffin allegedly gave that a copy of it to Zion Williamson to sort of bond them together, Phil and MJ style. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if Zion read it. What, what's The Alchemist about? I know it's a, a very powerful text in NBA circles. Uh, yeah, it's also, it's also like the book that was reported that Polinka gave to the players or gave to oh, somebody. Okay. Um, I feel like it's kind of become the, it's, it's, be- it's become like the book you use if you want to Im- try to embarrass somebody for seeming fake deep. <laughs> I would contend that the alchemist is actually a pretty good book. I read it. I haven't read it in a while. I read it when I was in high school and I read it when, when I was in college. Um, I recommend it. It's like just about this person on like a kind of spiritual, emotional journey. It's very like, I don't know, like it's very like hero's journey. Um, It would be kind of funny if we did the answer book club, but instead of reading like Jack McCallum books, we read books that GMs give to star players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Apparently also was... Like so, two weird things about that story. You're talking about the the Nola.com story that came out about yes. David Griffin. Yeah, it was, um, a, it, was just, a, it was a kind of like a systemic look at the state of the Pelicans under Griffin's stewardship and whether or not two and a half years in things were any better than the day he walked in. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's an interesting story, and it has it has a lot of interesting tidbits in it. One of them, though, 
uh, both Zion and and and, uh, and David Griffin really refuted, which was that uh, uh, that Griffin, in an effort to get closer with Zion, uh, serenaded him with the uh, with piano in the bubble. Uh, to which Zion said. I am not letting a grown man come to my hotel room and play piano for me. Now that as a general thing, you know, I I kind of want to push back against Zion there. I feel like that would be a lovely experience. Music is is wonderful. Live music, especially, it's something that we haven't gotten to experience. And it's well, it's really important that we support live music right now. It's yeah, exactly, a, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, Griff doesn't apparently doesn't play piano. That's what he uh, said. Well, that that is checkmate on that story, then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's really interesting. Um, but the thing about the book and also that story that was very interesting to me um, is that these stories, like, kind of like tend to drop in something that will be perceived to be embarrassing for that person. Yes. You know, that yeah. that generally like is kind of just like a it's. The, the type of the type of gesture that could be good or bad, right? Like giving somebody a ca- copy of The Alchemist. If they like yeah, the book, right. It's, Playing it's piano nice. for somebody. Right. Like it's it can go both ways. It can yeah. be like extremely awkward and like off-putting or it could be lovely, you know? But, yes. So like t- the, the Pelicans aren't the only team that are sort of dealing with some mm-hmm. negative headlines right now. And Sierra and I wanted to talk a little bit about how a sort of maybe one critical story can sort of snowball into the perception that a team is in crisis, right? So if you look at what happened over the course of the week, we had Media Day on Monday. I I wrote about Sixers Media Day on the site and the Sixers are only, you know, and the Pelicans are both dealing with their own issues. Uh, the reporting about David Griffin for the Pelicans, for the Sixers, it's obviously the ongoing Ben Simmons saga. But just a couple of other ones that are happening right now, like over the last few months, I think you could say all of these teams are experiencing a either a, a crisis or a case of public dysfunction or publicly perceived dysfunction. You got Minnesota with the ownership transfer and Gerson Rosas' exit. You got Dallas with the Carlisle exit, the front office upheaval between Donnie Nelson and Haralla Bob Volgaris and Nico Harrison. Portland obviously had their coaching drama and the Dame alleged train demand, although that's being disputed by Dame. Golden State did not make any trades for their with their draft picks, thus leaving KD Draymond or sorry, Draymond, Steph and Clay to play with kids this season, which may or may not work out. Now we have the Wiggins thing going on this week in Brooklyn. There is the ongoing Kyrie saga in Utah, somewhat unremarked upon. There is there was an ownership change last year. Now we've got front office changes. There's been a medical staff overhaul and slight rumblings of a Donovan versus Rudy issue that lingers on. So that's, a bunch of really good teams mm-hmm. or teams that hope to be really good kind of get it off on the wrong foot as the season starts. Some of that is very complicated because of the vaccine stuff. Some of it is just your kind of more quotidian front office drama. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that defines all these teams is whether or not they were championship contenders, sir, is that they had expectations this season. And that kind of was what defines a crisis, a team in crisis or a team experiencing a large amount of dysfunction is that we don't really say that about Cleveland and we don't really say that about Oklahoma City. You know, in in fact, in the case of Oklahoma City, we'll be like, oh, man, they're just losing the right way. You know, they're they're doing the best they can in the market they're in. They have a plan. They're following it. You know, Presti's process or whatever. But these teams that I just mentioned all would like to be better than they were last than they, they were last season or in some cases have title aspirations. Right. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting way to put it. Um, I think 
I think that's ultimately like what it comes down to. Uh, you know, a team right now, right now in training camp, we are seeing these teams lay out their missions, right? And when those things don't go to plan, like that's that's essentially like when people do start digging around for the, for these stories and trying to figure out what exactly it is that's going on. It is interesting too that like of the teams that you mentioned, I also want to throw the Suns in there who had like that big uh, Ke- uh, ESPN story by Kevin Arnovitz that mm-hmm. featured the, uh, the the goat shit being left in Brian <laughs> McDonough's office. Yes. Uh, um, and, Some and may the Jet- call that the goat of behind the scenes team in crisis stories. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and just so everybody knows, if anybody who hasn't read the story, I don't mean the greatest shit of all time. I no. mean, uh, you know, goat like the animal uh, was was <laughs> left by uh, Robert Sarver in uh, in McDonald's office. Uh, meant to be a gesture. Meant to be like a, you know, like hey, like the, we're gonna be like the greatest of all time or, or whatever, right? And that story came um, out like a couple of years ago, right as the McDonough administration was transferring over to like the J- J- James Jones administration, right? It was after, yeah. It was it okay. was like briefly after. We didn't know a lot about the James Jones administration at the time. There were definitely questions about them, um, especially at you know we didn't we didn't know that like some of the draft picks that they made that at the time seemed like well why are you like you guys are why are you using like the this pick on Cam Johnson I think mm-hmm. that was like a big one that ended up being like pretty smart um but the Suns and Jazz are really interesting to me because those are two good teams and I wonder um you know I will get into like the dysfunction part of this as well with like some of the teams that never really seem to get off the ground but I wonder if you need that type of story to happen to you sometimes <laughs> yeah you know I mean I suppose uh Right. It, that's like what's the, the the iron shapes iron. Like you basically need some sort of like stressful situation to emerge uh, stronger, more or less. But I would suggest that like oftentimes what happens is this is the first harbinger of something really like the of like a, a turn for the worse is like mm-hmm. usually when places start springing leaks, when you've got a lot of, of anecdotes about GM's piano playing habits or uh, agents not being happy with how a GM does his business. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the Rosas postmortems were like plentiful, you know, uh, they, they were all, and, and it seemed like even in the podcast circuit, a lot of reporters were like, I had heard similar things, which is always kind of a bad sign when it was like a, like a mm-hmm. poorly kept secret that somebody is not running the organization in the right way, or at least perceived not to be running the organization the right way. Let's talk about some of these specific teams though, because media day is supposed to be pretty benign, you know, like it's supposed to be, I'm standing here. I I take my team photo where I'm standing in front of like a white backdrop with holding a basketball in my hand. And like, we're just all smiles and everybody's full of optimism. And for a lot of these teams, that wasn't the case. Now for some, it was because obviously there, there were questions about mandatory vaccinations and whether or not certain players have been vaccinated. But for the Sixers, that was not, I suppose, blessedly a, a big concern. That was, it, this was more about Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you, do you think that the Sixers, from a team standpoint, handled this week well in regards to Ben Simmons? Um, okay, that's, that's a really good question. N- probably no. If you're probably like working no, in but Sixers, like in, somewhere in the Sixers front office, somewhere, mm-hmm. in, are you like, we had an okay week, all things being equal? I wonder how much has actually changed in terms of his his trade request or anything, right? Like maybe it's just a week that doesn't essentially matter. It's just like a bunch of shit that's said and doesn't really change, move the needle, which was kind of like the Sixers, the Sixers offseason, right? Uh, but I think, uh, man, like 
The thing I noticed watching their training camp videos was this attempt to blame the media and you know the media does take some responsibility um you know we've i I think like the the player takes on media breaking up teams is really interesting and i think Mm -hmm. it's it's essentially a part of what we're talking about but there also seemed to be within that like a lack of accountability about what they actually said uh like Uh doc doc rivers um you know, basically, you know, has been saying he was taken out of context and like, you know, he re-explained what he meant like by like, I don't know. My argument to that, which we talked about before, was that like, well, you know, when you say you don't know um, in a high pressure situation, that is usually means that you're telling the truth. In this case, like it was about, you know, how he feels about Ben Simmons as a championship point guard. Um, and, you know, they just kind of keep going back to that. And it's just one of those things where I think that they might be in a better position if you kind of just accept that like whatever it, it is that you said hurt Ben Simmons. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, if you look at Joel, mm-hmm. he's terminally honest. Like he's just terminally honest all the time. And I don't know if that's like something he's capable of, of doing. He seems to have like a level of self-awareness about it now at this point where he, I think like he's kind of like acknowledged through other mediums that Ben Simmons is like, mo- is not motivated in the same way that that Joel is um you know he kind of said like he said it about Philly fans about like how Philly fans are towards the players now some players really like it um and some players don't but like you know Joel is kind of a Philly fan you know <laughs> like he's sure he's, yeah. he's, he's like yeah it shakes like the best part about that whole thing was uh, the the long answer that he gave about like the Ben situation his disappointment was just like, yeah, we, you know, we've really built around this guy. Like, we have a bunch of really high-level three-point shooters around him. We have me as a stretch five, and like, you know, Shake is good. He could definitely be a better shooter though, but he's pretty good. It's just <laughs> awesome. Like, you know, you just you. Can, those are the little things where you can tell in somebody's like inner monologue and how they speak that they just aren't like an inherently dishonest person, and like that has probably impacted the way that those two interact. Um, yeah, but on the other <laughs> end, like. I think it's really hard to hold somebody accountable when you can't be honest with them. So there's definitely two sides to it. Yeah, I think it goes both ways. So the the interesting thing about this week to me has been, I tend to be a little bit skeptical about the idea that when a report comes out, so like Sam Amick wrote a report that was about Ben Simmons feels like he has come to the end of the road with his time with Joel Embiid. And here's all these reasons why he wants to run his own offense. He wants to have a more complimentary system for him. That came out almost... The next, I think really the next morning after the Sixers had done their initial press availability, Doc and Daryl had done their press conference where they mentioned the fans. They mentioned that Ben requested a trade or Ben's reps requested a trade at the Chicago Draft Combine, that they had been in contact, that they were kind of still unclear about why he wanted a trade and that, you know, that they were ready, willing and able to welcome him back into the fold and that they did not want to trade him. And then the next day, Sam Amick's piece comes out in The Athletic, and it's basically about how Ben, it, it's targeted at Joel. It's not, it's not about Doc. It's not about Daryl. It's not about the team tried to trade mm-hmm. me for Harden. All the things that we had sort of said before, it was about Ben Simmons not wanting to play with Joel Embiid anymore. Then Joel Embiid gets his second shot at media day. So he had the first one where I felt like he played, he read from a script and was just like, you know, we're better with him. I hope he's here, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Then the second time, after the Sam Amick report, 
it obviously got to him. And now I will even note that in this second media availability that he had, he resisted doing this for a little while. I think that uh, they talk about this a little bit on the Hoop Collective pod with Windhorse. They like that Joe was asked multiple times, like, because I think he said initially, like, I'm disappointed by whether it was that report or the fact that Ben still wasn't there. He mentioned he was disappointed. And then I think people kept saying, like, why are you disappointed? Why are you disappointed? And he finally did this monologue about Al Horford and why they should still have Jimmy Butler, but got rid of him because that suited Ben Simmons's game more. And, you know, it's not like he wants to stand out at the three point line all the time. So he feels like he's making concessions for Ben's game and you know we've done everything we can to accommodate Ben Simmons it was it was like the band-aid came off real fast in that second media availability but what I find fascinating is this idea that there's like a proxy war going on between clutch and the Sixers of like these anonymous reports of people saying like sources close to Simmons or sources within Simmons camp say Simmons is done playing with Embiid doesn't want to do that and that then somebody probably as savvy as Joel Embiid will be drawn in on that as if Ben Simmons literally said that. He very well may have signed off on someone saying that to Sam Amick. I don't know. But we have now entered the zone where these two the, these people are having an argument where they don't even know if anybody actually said that. You, we, we joked about the David Griffin piano playing thing. Like, what if Ben didn't say that? What if Rich Paul didn't say that? What if that's somebody who's like adjacent to, adjacent to somebody's camp? I'm sure Amick's got really good sources here. But... This is kind of the reality of the modern uh, NBA media where a lot of it is driven by anonymous sourced material. We run it here at the Ringer a lot. I, you know, like it is it is the game you play. But I think it does kind of get into the really murky territory about like who is actually speaking for who here. It makes things really confusing and it makes it hard to answer simple questions about like about situations. Um, like the, the one that I was going to ask you, honestly, is just like, Looking at the situation right now, do you believe that the Sixers don't want to trade Simmons? Um, I think that they don't want to trade him for something that they see as less value than him. You know, I don't think that they are uh, building for the future. I don't think first round draft picks have a ton of value to them. And I don't think that they are in any mood to do a Kawhi trade like the Spurs did where it's just like, we just have to get this guy out of the building. We have to stop answering questions about this. And I think that the Spurs are a very instructive case of Mm -hmm. be very careful what you do in this situation. And it can get ugly and it could be, you know, I mean, I think that the Anthony Davis, James Harden and Kawhi Leonard situations were all different for different reasons. I think those guys spent various amounts of time with those teams. I think those guys had various medical situations. I think those guys had different, different representation, but the Ben Simmons case is is really interesting because this is a guy entering his prime under multiple years of a contract remaining and his value has a ton of variance. So I, I think that the Sixers are obviously comfortable. If I, if I could read anything from between the lines of Daryl and Doc at their media day, it was like two guys who just are not worried about job security and are not worried about whether or not like they're going to let this define like their sort of professional standing and they're happy, like not happiness, but like, I don't think that those guys are like, this is knocking me off my square. I'm not on tilt because Ben Simmons wants a trade. Did you, but, but I, I can't tell if I'm reading this through Philly colored glasses or cause I, I was listening to Windhorse this morning and they were like, man, this is, this was a, this week was a win for Ben Simmons. They were like, Ben Simmons has more leverage now because it's obvious that like Embiid is now saying like, I don't want him back in some ways. 
I think that's I think that's probably fair. Like the more I mean, the more this looks like a real beef, first of all, it does become more of a distraction and it does then it starts to actually make Simmons less valuable to the Sixers themselves as well. And you do start to have to think about like, hey, what is this gonna cost us in terms of like locker room chemistry and things like that? Now Maury I mean, I don't wanna say Maury is somebody who doesn't believe in that type of thing. I think it would be a little bit reductive, but uh at the same time, like, you know, anytime I've asked him about it and it's like stuff that he's he's said uh, before, it's he just kind of is like, well, you know, chemistry is a three game winning streak. Yeah. Um, I w- wonder if he might look back at like some of those Rockets teams and the way that they have they just completely fell apart um, and, and think like, hey, maybe there is actually more to this than than that. So I'm, I'm curious like how ugly it gets and how much they care about how ugly it gets. Cause it also feels like, like doc is somebody is probably on the other end of the spectrum and is somebody who also, you know, he's going to be the one that's in that locker room trying to manage it. Um, I wonder what his perspective on, on it is and like how, I guess ugly they'll let it get before, before pulling the trigger on. Could it get uglier? I mean, I guess today is October 1st. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that is, that is, that, that was, this is supposed to be Simmons' next uh, salary installment, Yeah, right? he's supposed to receive a little bit more than $8 million today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I love that for him. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. We'll see if he gets the full eight, right? I mean, that's one thing that Maury, like, didn't really talk about a lot. But, like, when he was asked about it, he was basically just like, well, you know, the rules are very clear. In yeah, terms he's like, of the CBA is very clear. Yeah. Yeah, right. which suggests like yes, he will if he doesn't show up to games, he will be getting fined. Um, and I guess at that point, it just becomes like I don't know if I'm Ben Ben Simmons, like I take the L there. You know, I'll take I'll I'll take the short term money loss of you know money that probably never be able to really spend in my life uh, <laughs> to <laughs> to like get a little bit more happiness for sure. So I don't know. I think it can get pretty ugly from here. Um, I don't, I'm starting to just feel like. I'm starting to feel like it's going to be like, you know, CJ McCollum's just going to be a, a sixer sooner. If that later. happens now, I'm going to be mad because that's what I wanted to have happen in June. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I like if that is where we wind up, mm-hmm. all Damian Lillard fever dreams aside, like, yeah, I'm just going to be like, guys, like he could have just done this like two weeks after the season, you know? Yeah, yeah, but like everything for them is is so dependent on everybody else, right? Like we talked about this before, just like ho- a whole summer of leaks after leaks after leaks, everybody trying to change the level of leverage that they have, but the the cards are where they're at and mm-hmm. that's just like what it's going to be. So, unless one of these other teams starts to flounder, I think they're just stuck in this situation where like they're not going to get like full value on Ben Simmons. Yeah, there's two different competing factors here one is the fact that soon there will be more stories in the nba than just ben simmons in fact this week obviously vaccinations were the number one story and as that happens i think it'll feel a little less intense Mm -hmm. on the other hand and they doc and daryl pointed this out in their uh press conference every city that the sixers go they will be asked about this every time any player is available for any media availability they will be asked about this. The Cleveland guy will ask them about it. The Detroit guy will ask them about it. The LA guys will ask them about it. Everybody will be like, hey, so what's your feeling on Ben Simmons? What's your feeling on whether or not mm-hmm. there's still a place for him on this team? Would you welcome him back? Why won't you welcome him back, et cetera? That is going to eventually produce an answer that 
falls outside of like the previously agreed upon way we're going to communicate about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. It took him approximately one media day before I mm-hmm. think he deviated from that. I think that the Sixers generally have pretty cool customers on their team. A lot of young guys and then the older veterans are really savvy, like Danny Green and Seth Curry and Tobias Harris. Joel is a little bit of the wild card, but I think everybody pretty much understands where Joel stands on this, which is like, I'd be happy to have him back, but let's not make this about like how I didn't accommodate him. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's essentially his point. So, yeah, I you know we end every Ben Simmons conversation with we'll see. Uh, but part of the reason why I think it's a little bit difficult to put any punctuation at the end of the sentence is that Clutch has been pretty quiet about this. They've been speaking through various media arms, but they have not actually made like a public statement about this. Ben Simmons has not made a public statement about how he's feeling about the Sixers or where he's willing to play or whether he's willing to sit out for the entire year. It's all been sources close to Simmons, sources with knowledge of the situation say Simmons Mm -hmm. is ready to sit out the entire season. I think that would be extraordinary and I think the NBA would get involved. I just have a feeling, you know, I just have a feeling like we can't, I don't think the NBA wants to enter into a world where players with this many years remaining on their contract are just like, I'm sitting out until you trade me. Yeah, no, that's a nightmare scenario for the NBA. And that is also like the larger story at, at work here, too, where, you know, like this is going to mean a lot in terms of what the future of player empowerment is and might actually like tip it, tip the scales to a place where like, you know, even people like you and I will be like, well, OK, <laughs> <laughs> right. Like it, t- it takes a lot for me to be like, well, you know, like I'm kind of pro player in almost all these scenarios. But man, like you really got to. Well, what, like, what are we just doing? Work, work, then? Yeah. yeah. You know, like work, work on your jump shot. And like play for your team, dude. So I think the fear in the NBA's part also is that this would be contagious. And the yeah. the sort of prime worry would be that some a player like Zion Williamson would be uh prone to just saying, you know what? Either I, you know, I might not even want to play out my whole rookie contract. I'm obviously a guy I broke my foot this offseason. I've had some medical issues. But like what I want is to enjoy my basketball as soon as possible in my career. And I'm not doing that in New Orleans. Now, this is a whole other thing where you get into, uh, you, you know, whether or not we are like kind of projecting onto the Pelican situation mm-hmm. issues that are facing the NBA right now about like whether or not people will stop signing their rookie extensions or their second contracts or whatever. And they're going to start hitting the restricted free agent market even earlier in their careers. Zach Lowe did a whole pot about this with Andrew Lopez. It's really fascinating. I was kind of curious about whether or not, do you think Zion is sort of like the next sort of the next chapter of, of this, of this kind of discussion that we've been having, call it player empowerment, call it the collapse of the contract, whatever you Mm -hmm. want to say. Yeah. This one's really interesting because I think this is the one where like, you know, fans are starting to key into the fact that like, you know, the media actually can play a role in manifesting some of these things. Um, Zion is somebody who we actually, unlike Simmons, have heard from. Um, And he was basically just like, I actually love it here. Uh, It's pretty cool. Um, You know, I mean, he's all saying all the things that he is uh he is supposed to say but also then starting to undo some of the the dynamic that was the the supposed dynamic between uh between him and griffin which he didn't have to do and oftentimes players don't do that usually if you ask them about a story like that they'll just say well you know i don't i'm not speculating on thing like you guys just don't really know what you guys are talking about and uh they just kind of keep it moving from there like he was kind of like actively working to 
repair disprove that. the narrative. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. like he was he was providing information as opposed to just saying, like, I'm not addressing this. Um, the other thing that's really interesting to me is that, like, looking back at that story, one of the points um, of contention between them seemed to be the the um, the plan to bring him back. Like, you know, they were bringing him back in like he was playing in bursts. Yeah. Um, they were being like super cautious with him. He apparently didn't like that very much. Um, you know, I think I think going really hard, as he said he was doing, he was really disappointed not to make the playoffs. And he had a chip on his shoulder this summer and he got hurt. I think when something like that happens, you might change your viewpoint on whether <laughs> on, on what's best for you in that scenario as well. So there is actually, I think, a reason f- I think despite everything that's, that might be going on, like the Pelicans actually have like a lot of reasons for optimism this season. Sure. And I, I noted today that uh, Gail Benson came out and said that there is like essentially a succession plan in place for the Benson family stewardship of the Pelicans and the Saints. And that the, I heard the president, I can't remember the name of the guy who's the president of the Saints and, and Pelicans was essentially like, I'm from New Orleans. We're keeping the team in New Orleans. I feel calls all the time about trying to buy the Pelicans, like the Pelicans will remain a New Orleans franchise. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Yeah, that that doesn't seem to be an issue here. I, mean, yeah. I think if it was any other ownership group, uh, we that would definitely be a question as opposed like, okay, like then Zion, the f- future of Zion Williamson might also be the future of the Pelicans. Yes. Um, I think we people were talking about that with Anthony Davis. We're just like, oh, yeah. I get, they might, this, this team might be in Vegas in three years. You know, like this is wild. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? We also haven't had contraction in a while as well. Like I think there's such a negative, um, there's it's just so much, you know, you get so much negativity for for taking a team out of somewhere. It just doesn't really feel like something that the NBA would want to like sure. go through right now. Um the thing that sort of defines a lot of these situations 
but the point where you call whispers and you call it in, you call it a crisis or you call it like oh now this team is on the rocks or whatever is often these behind the scenes looks at at what's going on in the halls of a franchise these largely like sourced from anonymous sources who are speaking on you know mm. because they either don't have the authority to or they're people fearing retribution or just simply don't want to put their name on it and then there's just like here's all the things that this GM did that we missed on this draft pick. We were supposed to go after this free agent, but then like we botched the meeting, all these things that like are kind of hallmarks of these pieces. You mentioned Kevin Arnovitz's son's piece. That was a great modern one. They are like, they've become like a, a kind of pillar of modern NBA reporting is the team, the falling mm -hmm. apart team uh, in the, Aftermath of the Gerson Rosas firing, there was a bunch of reporting about stuff that had gone on at the Wolves. They, a lot of those pieces mentioned that we have been working on this piece for actually quite a while, and that Gerson mm -hmm. Rosas is firing. Uh, like, like we we basically are publishing this in a response to that, but that we had contacted Rosas about all these findings, and he rebutted this and and did that. Do you think that the, I mean, because you were talking about like what the role the media has in the sort of stability of a franchise. Do you think that these like this type of story actually has like huge impact on the whether or not people remain employed, like whether or not teams are perceived to be stable or not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, like there's nothing that most people that are famous care more about than their perception. So, right. you know, like I think once somebody like or even if you're not famous, like let's let's say you're somebody like Robert Sarver, I think a story like that kind of makes you maybe say like I'm going to I'm going to sit a few seasons out now. Like, I'm just going to let other people do their job. It's, it feels like that's what happened in Phoenix after that story came out because it was just so, it was embarrassing for him on a level of like just organizational competency. Um, and then I think if you're like somebody like him, the whole reason that you like buy an NBA team is to like be the cool billionaire. And all of a sudden, like the team has now uh, <laughs> turned you into a very, very uncool billionaire as opposed to, uh, so like, I, I do think, I do think it matters. Um, and that goes down for like anybody else that's working in the NBA too, because, you know, even if you're somebody who doesn't necessarily care about your perception, you have to, because it will impact the, the next job you get and how you're able to like, you know, you know, do you have leverage in, in certain situations? And like, do people like, does the GM on the other end of the line feel like you have enough job security to be like making a bold play? Or do you feel like they can put pressure on you to get you to make a move? Like, there's so many reasons why like these types of stories matter yeah um and like they end up like you know like you can't it's like i don't know what that phenomenon is but like you can't observe an object and not change it and i think that there's like there's just no question about that like when you have like just human beings with like any level of like ego motivation and and, and competitive instinct um it's just it's gonna play out differently for everybody and sometimes it does like end up sinking the ship i think oftentimes it does um but you know i think you also look at a case like the sun's probably helpful um the jazz like it was like almost a baptism yeah yeah in a way like it's 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 a way of getting like a it's it's like getting a credit report you know like just <laughs> you gotta it, see the number where, yeah this is where we're at right now yeah <laughs> like i think it was probably maybe it was helpful for the for the jazz too but well, okay but like, so let's just play devil's advocate you get okay. your credit report and you're like how do i still owe 35 dollars on a Macy's card that I never took out. And now it's like bit ballooned to $500 or something. And like, this is sinking my credit report. Like, do you think David Griffin... Chris, does that happen to you? No, it actually, 
there, I can't remember if it was on a credit report, but I did get a bill once for a video that I took out from a Brooklyn video store. And I was like, I never had a membership at this place. Like, this is crazy. And it, it was, I mean, it was for a video that I would have rented, which I think was like the DVD first season of 24. So it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I had never gone to that video store. And I certainly didn't keep the first season of 24 for myself for that much time. But it was on like, a, I think it was on, it, I just got like a, like a, you know, a collection bill about it. And that like, wasn't a, me. A, a you know physical I mean? piece of mail based <laughs> yeah. on the era you're talking about. Like, yes. You open your mailbox. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, I wonder whether or not David Griffin feels like I did when I got charged for a season of 24. Like, I mean, there were things that I've done, but that wasn't it. He's probably looking at that piano story as just being like, Jesus, it can't be over this, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, you like focus on the, like the, we have, we have, spent plenty of time criticizing griff before right like you know focus i'm on one the, of the few the media Bledsoe. people who don't know him yeah like i like i i've never talked to him yeah mm-hmm. um he yeah like you know there's like the the bledsoe thing um the the steven adams which like they reversed you know like it's like a clearly a clear admission of a mistake to have then like gotten rid of those guys um like there's there's personnel things that happen like clearly lonzo didn't want to be there anymore for some reason um like jj reddick came out and said like you know he felt like he was he's essentially allowed to that he can can trust your uh the organization um so like there's stuff it was just strange that like you know like the things that you came out thinking about were just like you know this feel this feels a little bit like i don't know it felt it felt a little bit like are you trying to bully david griffin is there just somebody <laughs> in the organization who just really doesn't like him it's like yeah this, this guy's like you know <laughs> i think the remarkable thing that's happened in the last five or six years and i know that there were tell-alls and behind the scenes looks at political administrations and nba franchises and and any kind of institution way before 2016 but i think that we collectively sort of crave those stories a lot more as we maybe distrust institutions more oh, right yeah so like i noticed obviously in the advent of the trump administration you get a lot of like we spoke to 27 people with fam- familiarity with like how this thing is working and this is something that trump is doing and everybody's here we go on fire i'm not saying that the, the, these nba stories are in any way the same thing but they are in the same like overall category of story where I remember when I first got into like writing about the league and I would go to an all-star game or something, an all-star weekend. It's a pally. It's a pally industry. Like it's a relationships industry. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of conversations happening in hallways and just kind of like over drinks and, and on the sidelines where you're just like kind of pretty easily sharing gossip for the most part. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to watch that aspect of the industry that I'm sure some of the older school people in the industry were like, I thought this stuff was like off the record. Like, I thought that this stuff didn't get talked about. If I screw up a meeting with LaMarcus Aldridge, I didn't know I was going to get put on front street for that. You know, like I'm sure Mitch Kupchak somewhere is just like, how did this happen? You know? And, And I do wonder whether or not there are some front offices or some organizations that are still getting used to some of the scrutiny that they're under. I, you know, Doc Rivers is somebody who comes to mind where I think Doc Rivers like like in every every interview he gives he seems to be like very excited to be the subject of the interview and then has to like do something some sort of like work to fix what he said in that interview do you know what I mean yeah that is essentially (laughs) that is essentially like the Doc Rivers story um yeah it's interesting like I think it's like an evolution of the relationships that agents now have with media that just seems way stronger than they were. And there are just more people like there are more people working for NBA teams 
working for agencies, working for players than there ever were before. So like there are just going to be looser personal trainers, and more personal unha- chefs, yes. personal wellness instructors, personal brand advisors, like so many like the 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 clicks mm. around guys are big. The teams have like lots of of staff working in all different parts of the building, but still having visibility on what's happening. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and honestly, like, 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 I'll, like, for me as an example, like, the people that I talk to, like, I think that for the most part are not the people that would be like traditionally available like 20 years ago. You know, like, I don't even know if I'd be able to do my job the way I do it if like this was 20 years ago because it would be like GMs and and coaches and and like maybe assistant coaches and stuff. Like, people on the team are really who you talk to, but now it's just so different. Like, there's so many more people who are around, and I think there's more people that are genuinely closer to players too that can like tell you how they're feeling and i think that these things also evolve in a way of like the the behavior that is deemed acceptable has also shifted uh which is always why i've been a fan of like the player empowerment movement like the like looking at the outside macro stuff like yes of course it sucks for teams right but there's like the way that gms coaches and 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 like assistants and like all the people around them like just do the players is so shitty sometimes um and i think it's good honestly like there's still so much stuff that like doesn't really come out like coaches outright like, just lie to players all the time like and just like you know like there are lies told to get somebody to like sign somewhere mm-hmm. so it's it's good that now you have to worry about what you're going to say and the promises that you're going to make to a player like it's a it, at least like you know you're going to see like the other end of it where you know like i, I it's natural that now you're seeing like the the people on the other side complain about player empowerment. Sure. That's also what you see when there's any like shift of, of power imbalance. So I think to conclude this conversation, I'd like to talk about the teams that somehow aren't considered dysfunctional or crisis teams because they have no expectations in the first place. So all the teams that I mentioned in the beginning, the Jazz, the Warriors, the Sixers, I, you know, I know the Wolves are not exactly like uh, a playoff contender, but I think that they would like to be. I think that that they would think that they have a core of talent that should get them at least into the playing game. Um, and they obviously have done a lot in terms of firing a coach and, and getting rid of a front office because that's the expectation. And they also have a new ownership in, in place and new ownership tep- typically has high expectations. Mm-hmm. But then you've got like this band of teams at the bottom of the NBA and they've been there for a minute. Uh, the Cavs, the Pistons, the Kings, um, the Thunder, who I think everybody is like, oh, we, we have so much respect for the Thunder, but have essentially, you know, been in a in a constant rebuild since the departure of of at least Westbrook, if not Durant. And uh the Rockets, I guess, are the, the latest en- entries into this rebuild mode. But there's a couple of teams out there that you're just like, we don't actually talk about um the Cavs in the same way that we seem to talk about like the Sixers or uh, or or even like Joe Lacob's role on the Warriors and maybe some of the inter-office disagreements about the direction of that of that franchise. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, before we get into it, I do want to push back against the, the Thunder being a part of this conversation. I think the thing that just separates them is they they do they genuinely have a plan and they are doing it. Like they've and they've only missed the playoffs like this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, like. I wouldn't be surprised if they're in in it this year or like closer to it or like, you know, two years from now, like they have a ton of, you know, they're in a good, they're in a good spot. Like I, but aside from that, like I, I would say, I think it's probably expectations. 
it's probably just expectations. Also, like, you know, like a team like the Kings, for example, right? Like every once in a while, there is a story that comes out about them. And we're all like, yeah, big whoop. The Kings are where they were. Like, this right. is who they are. Right. Like, it's just like, yeah, like I, I know, you know, like the, the way the ways that they're bad are, have, have changed. But uh, yeah, like they're this is this is who the team is, um, which makes it interesting when like, you know, like even the Cavs, like the Cavs had like the bailing thing. And I, I actually wonder now, like thinking about the fact that there are more people just around and there are more people who want these jobs than ever before. Sure. Like this is maybe this is a byproduct of like the the Michael Lewis, like my, like just like narrative building around like a guy like i went to Bill, harvard i'd love to run a sports team yeah. exactly exactly <laughs> right. like all these guys like you know you can watch watch like a movie like that and like you want to then be that person um and like we've we've talked about how the rise of that sort of thing has impacted the nba and maybe this is just the next step where like there are only so few of these jobs and like sometimes the best way to try to get them is to try to get the guy who has it fired um and like organizational dysfunction stories are a great way to do it. It's a great way to like just honestly like tr- like not like you can you can try to take out everybody in one fell swoop, right? As opposed yeah. to just like targeting one coach or one player, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like just like the, the red wedding <laughs> school. I've missed that chapter in Moneyball about the red wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's how you really get this job. <laughs> yeah. When you, when all the advanced analytics run out, <sighs> call Woj. <laughs> like that, that, that is a funny way of looking at it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that, um, you know, obviously the Cavs have had their fair share of stories written about them. The Kings, the same. Um, the Thunder, I think, are pretty candid about like where they're at and what they're doing. So I think that there's been um, a, at least like a sort of like nothing to see here aspect mm-hmm. of, of what, what's going on there. I think that mm-hmm. when they missed out on Kate Cunningham, candidly, like that was probably like a what is this all for if you're going to be drafting sixth and you're going to be taking flyers on Australian point guards with with your sixth pick. Um, you know, I think the Spurs are an interesting case where it's like th- that's a that's a franchise with a ton of, uh, I think, goodwill from mm-hmm. the decades of excellence that they have experienced. And now they are in a real like kind of nether region. Zach wrote about them this week on, on mm-hmm. ESPN and I, I was interested to read about how like i think that they've apparently t- turned down several packages with first round picks or like have basically like shunned the idea of getting a lot of prospects or a lot of picks mm-hmm. for for the, anybody that they have on hand that they're making a run at it with the guys that they do um but yeah like i think for the most part like it has to do with expectations it has to do with with either we as a media thought you were going to be better or you as a franchise certainly thought you were going to be better. Mm -hmm. And here's the true story behind it. Yeah. I think the media part probably matters more. Like, you know, you see every, every team right now thinks that they are going to be good. It's just a matter of, do we believe them? Right. Um, Before we wrap up, since you brought up the Spurs, uh, why do you think that the Sixers need to be mindful of like the Spurs trajectory with Kawhi? Um, Because I think that, the Sixers have the Sixers are I don't think want to do what the Warriors are doing I mean that's a very specific situation the Warriors find themselves in with all these first round draft picks at that moment despite the fact I don't you know they were essentially trying to pull off the Spurs thing of of getting the Tim Duncan to bring David Robinson into the next era Mm -hmm. um I just think that the Sixers have to be very mindful about like the the Embiid window you know, it's I, I don't know that that's going to last eight years 
You know, I don't know that he'll be dominant for that long. I think with his health, the way the basketball is changing with big men, like, I think it's probably like, what do we need to do to put Joel Embiid in a conference finals or an NBA finals like right now? And that can't be three draft picks over the next two years who might pop in five years. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. just can't be that. And there's other things that they can do to, to sort of like pepper around the edges. But I think that everything I've ever seen about Daryl Morey is that like, he's just not interested in that, that way of, of doing things. But the main thing I would, I would stress is that like, I just don't think getting like Karis LeVert and Malcolm Brogdon is going to change the Sixers trajectory. I think that they're going to hold on to Ben for as long as they can to get something out of the situation that they feel like puts them in contention for a title. Yeah. And I guess, I guess like that you do then run the risk of, Oh, now we're getting DeMar DeRozan back for Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I don't think Ben's Kawhi Leonard, but I don't think you can do DeMar mm-hmm. DeRozan. You know what I mean? I don't think that you can do something where it's like a real, like, this puts a ceiling on the team. This isn't mm-hmm. even just like a floor raiser. This puts a ceiling on the team. We can wrap it up there. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll probably have more things to talk about than Ben Simmons, but it's fun to talk about Ben Simmons. I've decided that I'm mm-hmm. now into this story. I'm back in. I'm back yeah. in. Especially now that there's like, there's stuff being said as yeah. well like i just i love joel just i i want to know what he's gonna say tomorrow and the next That's day right. and then and the day after that it gives us a reason to keep going it's just a what will mm-hmm. Embiid say at media days media availability sarah thank you so much for joining us thanks to erica cervantes for producing us today we will be back next week thanks for listening to the Ringer nba show